Welcome to Magamemics at Movies, the show where we don't talk smack about movies, we celebrate them. Was that the new catchphrase? I don't quite remember, but it's some variation to that extent. And welcome to our continuing catch-up on our archives that we recorded last year. All 20-something podcast worth of content that we've been releasing on our YouTube channel under the banner of Manga Mavericks at Movies Month. And throughout the month of May, you will continue to receive more great new at movies podcasts that should have been released a long time ago, but hey, they're finally being released now. And we finally got a new logo to go along with our podcast. Hey, we might be stuck with the same variations of the same old catchphrase, but we got a new logo. Thanks to Tyler Goulet coming in and making it up for us, looking very nice. Glad to have it. And for this episode, we are skipping ahead six months from where we left off on the Ghost and Shell Power Rangers episode to talk about two horror movies, both adaptations just like the previous set of movies we talked about in the last episode, though these movies were much more well-received than Ghost and Shell Power Rangers. What are those two movies? Well... One is anime-related, one is not, but both are pretty nerdy in general, so they're a good pairing. We'll be talking about the Tokyo Ghoul live-action movie and the IT remake. Do these movies have anything in common besides the fact they're horror films and adaptations? I don't know, but they're a good pairing. And I think we had a lot of fun talking about them, a lot of fun stories to share, and a lot of interesting conflicting opinions as well. So without any further ado, enjoy Manga Marek's Ad Movies Episode 15, It and Tokyo Ghoul. Welcome to Manga Marin Tag Movies, a show where we talk smack about movies. Except more often than not, we don't have to talk smack about movies. We talk about movies we really liked, including Tokyo Ghoul the movie, which we just saw a week ago at this point. We record these too late. I mean, we, we saw them Thursday. It doesn't matter. Don't give the exact days because it's irrelevant to when these come out. I mean, we saw it like four days ago. I guess. Four days ago at the time of this recording. And, yeah, I... Was not expecting great things from this adaptation of Tokyo Ghoul, but I dare say this might be my favorite iteration of the story yet. What say you, Wee Lord? Because you're definitely not enthusiastic about this movie as I am. Oh no, I'd say I'm like positive about the movie. I don't think it's like the best interpretation of it. It's better than the anime, though. I mean, clearly, yeah, that anime is terrible. It watched through too many things, and that was its biggest problem. Yeah, even then, it feels like it misconstrues the actual themes of the story itself. And I think the biggest problem of the anime is that it was trying to get to a certain place 
by the end. Yeah, and this to... movie knows better than to try and get to that. It place. knows its limitations, and it chooses a good story to adapt. Yeah, that doesn't get us to like the big like. Like, the big epic stuff that people talk about in Tokyo Ghoul, but it's a good story nonetheless. It doesn't feel the need to cram characters in where they don't need to be. Yeah. It knows what to focus on. And honestly, what it focuses on is what I always thought was the most interesting part of Tokyo Ghoul. Kaneki learning to cope with being a ghoul and unable to eat regular food and having that craving for human flesh. And... Whether he's able to cross that line into eating humans. And then the conflict between the ghouls and the CCG. And who is right and wrong in terms of who is hurting the other and killing unnecessarily in crueler ways. Yeah, that's definitely a big theme of the uh, parts of the story that this uh, movie adapts. Yeah, and to me, they were also the most interesting part. The part with Hanami and her mother, to me, was the most interesting part of Tokyo Ghoul by far. Because we have the introduction of Mado and Amon and their great antagonists. And then that entire conflict is just so interesting with one side killing the other... And then another side killing someone on the other side. Mm. And that perpetuates a cycle of violence. And ultimately, Kaneki has to come to the decision. No, I don't want to be a murderer. I'm going to stop this. I'm not perpetuating yeah. the cycle anymore. Yeah. Although it doesn't completely stop things because Toka didn't follow the same lesson. Hinami did, but Toka went through with killing Mado. Yeah. Though... In the process of doing that, she also recognized, oh, this guy had a family. So, and that's maybe the bite them later in the story. Maybe the place where he was coming from was because the ghouls did something to his family. Yeah. That's, that's some interesting stuff, but I don't want to spoil anything. But, yeah. Right. I mean, like, I mean, this, the arc that this adapts, which, I don't know if this has, like, an official name, does it? It's just Tokyo Ghoul. No, like, the arc that this adapts. I don't care about the arc names. To me, the most interesting part about the movie, beyond just what it focuses on in terms of the story, is that it is really well shot. The cinematography in this film is excellent in terms of how locations look, like, the scenes, just all of them, are just really beautiful looking. They, they look they're, how they look how you'd expect it to look in a live action. They look like the manga brought to life in terms of yeah. like the grayness of the world. Like it feels like the real world, but there's like this tinge of grayness that also reflects like the grayness of the morality of yeah. the character. It has like the bleak, dark colors that like really kind of like portrayed in the manga, mm-hmm. but it, it just comes to life here. Yeah, so it looks incredible. The CG is the movie's biggest weak point yeah, because the, the Kagunes do not look great. They the Kagu- look the Kagunes look dumb. They, they honestly look dumb. I appreciate that they try to make them more flesh color- colored to reflect that they are a pro- the bodies of the ghouls. In the process, but- though, they just kind of look more ridiculous, though, because like 
With the CG they're using, it just kind of looks really awkward. The biggest problem is just that they aren't rendered in the most realistic of ways. Yeah. Like, Japanese CG just is not on the same level as Hollywood CG, so it looks even faker. It looks yeah. even more out of place. It looks like something from a video game. And, yeah, I'm not going to lie, that takes you out of the movie a little bit, but... The action choreography is really good, particularly in the final battles of the movie. So I'm still sucked into what's happening, and I can ignore that a little bit. But yes, definitely when you're focusing on just a still not moving shot where a character has their Kagune out and is just hovering, it looks as fake as the chains in Black Clover <laughs> Episode 1. I'd say it looks even faker to be Even honest. faker, because at least Black Clover is an animated world. Yeah. The eyes looked pretty decent, though. The red eyes. Like the red eyes. Yeah, the red eyes looked okay. They were passable. Mm-hmm. But the acting was superb. <clears throat> Masataka Kubota was incredible as Kaneki. I liked his performance, yeah. and I felt like he made the character feel more like a real person than the manga's version or the anime's version. I don't know. Because, no, I really felt like, yeah, this is an awkward, socially inept guy that I can imagine in real life. And his okay, art that, felt that, believable. That, 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 his yeah. mannerisms felt believable. Like, the scene where he's, like, hugging Rize, and then, like, how he's, like, slowly kind of realizing, oh, this is actually happening. Such great acting there. Okay, yeah. That, that stuff I do agree with. My main problem is, like, near the end when, like, he's an uncontrolled ghoul. It just gets to the point where it looks way too ridiculous. All right. So the part where he's, like, shaking his head and screaming. <laughs> that's that's so, Everyone so laughed dumb. at that part. That it was silly. So that was silly. Everyone laughed at that. Everyone, when they were walking out of the theater... Was like, oh wow, that part was so fun- hilarious. What were they thinking? Like, but, but this is the thing. Like, I remember that scene from the manga, and yeah, Kaneki does have a mental breakout there, but he doesn't look so fucking stupid. Yeah, it's just the fact that he's just bobbing his head <laughs> up and down, so screaming. Dumb. It's so silly. Even but like, like, he's like doing all this weird drooling, and just kind of looks weird yeah okay so fine that's one part where okay. i think yeah aside from that aside from that i think played it too over the top like, but his his voice performance especially like regardless of the scene his voice performance was fantastic yeah all the actors really feel like how the characters would be if they were actually real people and modify to reflect that yeah you know fumika shimizu was excellent as toka Yo, Oizumi was incredible as Madao, and he's going to be Shao Tucker in the FMA live action movie, by the way, which is, again, great casting. So, even over-the-top characters like Madao, I felt like were portrayed in such a way, though they were still, like, a little bit of the anime, roundy character that they were, but they feel more like real people. And I think that making the setting and the characters feel more realistic really helps the themes of this story and really sells the horror aspect of it. Again, going back to cinematography, like one of the most uncomfortable gut-wrenching scenes of the movie is when Kaneki is like scouring his fridge or something to eat, but he can't find anything edible and he's just throwing everything up. Like he's trying to chug it all down with milk and the milk is so awful that he's throwing it up. And then you get that great contrast when when he's at Anteku and he is 
like trepidation over the coffee being served to him. And so he slowly picks it up and he slurps it. And then there's like a look of disbelief. He's like looking at it, shaking his head. And he's like trying to get it. It's like, this is delicious. Like, great acting, great performance there. Again, performance, cinematography, excellent. But going back to the horror vibe, again, like the use of night scenes, the, the use of claustrophobic attitudes and reflections really communicate that great horror vibe. Yeah. Like, how they use Kaneki's visions of Rize as a reflection of his ghoul side, really great in reflecting the monster inside him that he's so afraid of. Yeah, if you compare that to, like, what the anime did for Rize scenes, this way, works way more, like... I guess this this feels way more fitting mm-hmm. than what the anime did, where they shove in these random Rize scenes, but they just feel out of place. Yeah, and they tone down the psychosexual aspect of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's definitely more horror, this is the monster you're becoming aspect, yeah. which I appreciate. I mean, just the horror in general, they just did a great job of translating that into a live-action setting, because I actually think, I don't think that, like, this horror is necessarily better than what Tokyo Ghoul presents, but in in a manga, over-the-top, more over-the-top, like, depiction works fine, because it's a comic. Here, though, you can't really do that without it looking, like, I guess, ridiculous, so actually, to- Tony Don making more like a subdued style of horror worked really well. I agree. I really thought that the first half of the movie was the strongest part where it was just focusing on the horror. It was just this slow build to Kaneki, like coming to the fact that he's a ghoul. And then it just ultimately leads to him breaking down when Michio attacks with his friend. And he becomes full-on ghoul, like Hide, yeah. So, that was like a great slow build. That was a great idea to just make the first half of the movie so squarely focused on his transformation. And the second half is the Hinami stuff. And the transition is seamless because you get enough setup for the Hinami half, like, earlier on. Because the characters show up earlier. The scene after the title sequence is... Madao and Amon killing the father and then pursuing your investigation of the mother and daughter. So it all feels very cohesive, even though they're like two distinctive like arcs for Kaneki in the film. Yeah. And like he moves from one climax to the other in a very great way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they make it flow pretty well for, like, two stories that were kind of not intertwined before. Thematically, I don't want to restate the stuff that I have already said in my previous thoughts on Tokyo Ghoul that you can find on episode 11 of the podcast. Yeah, or recently on YouTube. Yeah. But I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I really like how the CCG treats the ghouls as if they are animals. Like, Madao specifically states that he considers them pigs. He refers to Hinami's mother as a so. And, like, he completely is denying that they have any human emotions or that they have value as, like, human beings in the same way. Yeah. And, you know, he's played as, like, 
this really villainous, almost cartoonishly so figure until you kind of realize that, oh, we see through his relationship with Amon that there's a connection there. There's an understanding that they both lost something because of ghouls. And we yeah. get that confirmation when we see the wedding ring on his finger after Toka kills him. Yeah, I mean, for Madal himself, it, like, ghouls are very personal grudge for him because they did make him lose his loved ones like i'd say amon though is a lot more ambiguous about him that's kind of a big thing like in the manga is that uh amon amon has a conflicted feeling about his like perception of goals especially since he he is like he, he growing up he was exposed to goals in an interesting way and that has like troubled him his entire life and that's like, the scene where Kaneki spares him in this arc is what troubles him for the rest of the series. And this is, and that's why, like, Amon wants to talk to Kaneki. He wants to not really kill him after this and actually talk to him and try to understand what ghouls really are. Are they really animals? Or are they more like humans than the CCG is trying to make them be portrayed as? Right, but he has to get to that point. In this movie, he definitely was on Mato's line of thinking yeah. that ghouls are the one who was coming, causing all the suffering and pain in this world and you need to be destroyed. Yeah. Which is reinforced when Toka kills his friend who was aspiring to be an investigator like him. Yeah. Which was also a very good art because that friend guy, he was very friendly, easygoing. He was a good person and he wasn't even that mean-spirited towards the ghouls. But Toka killed him. And she didn't know that this guy, what he had done, if he had even done anything, she killed him, and he didn't deserve to die. So Amon is perfectly justified in his hatred of ghouls and Toka and wanting justice for him. Yeah, I mean, like, very much at the beginning of this film and the beginning of this arc, Amon is, like, kind of a by-the-books guy, he kind of views, like, okay, the ghouls are the bad guy. The humans are, like, in the right. But, yeah, between, like, Kaneki sparing him and Toka killing his friend, and among other things from his past, it all kind of jumbles up into, like, him being troubled about what ghouls really are. Are they really the enemy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, really, uh, like... If we ever do, like, a full, like, like discussion about the original Tokyo manga as whole, I'd go more in-depth than this, but, um, Kaneki and Amon, their personal character development and journeys are just the most interesting part of Tokyo Ghoul for me. Because they both go in different directions, but they both intertwine yeah. at the same time. And it's just such an interesting thing to see throughout the course of the story. One scene that I really liked in terms of Amon's perception of ghouls is the way he looks at that kid who has lost his parents due to a ghoul and then Mato telling him hey, don't forget your past. That's what makes us yeah. stronger. H- have That's you gotten to Amon's flashback? In the I movie? don't remember. It's been I, so long. You stopped at volume 8, right? Yeah. Yeah, then I don't think you got to it. But yeah, at first, I, at first when I first read that, I was like, huh, I wonder like what happened to him. But once you actually see the flashback, it all like just comes together. It's just like Oh, that that's why he's so motivated that. I see. Well, I'm yeah. interested, and hopefully I will finish the manga at some point, and maybe we can reconvene and discuss it in its entirety, because yeah. 
I would be interested in that. Yeah, to- Tokyo Ghoul is an interesting story. It's not perfect, but damn, does it have some good characters, some good action. It's it's fun. And this film captures that. This film understood it, unlike that shitty anime. Yeah. This adaptation was excellent, but I'm not sure if most audiences will feel that way. Looking on... Line for reviews. I've seen more mixed impressions. Most people seem caught up in the visuals. Like, yeah. They feel that it looks cheap. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like, especially from American film reviewers, I that think they American... don't understand the limits of Japanese cinema in this regard. At least Japanese blockbuster cinema. I think so. a lot of people were also expecting it to be, like, a lot more action-heavy. Like, yeah. Or this, I guess th- there is a fair bit of action in this, but... I guess more of, like, later Tokyo Ghoul action, where it's, like, Kaneki, like, going full-on ghoul and, like, yeah. beating the shit out of people. I mean, the fans might have expected that, but reviewers appreciated the psychological horror parts more yeah. than the action parts. They thought that the ser- the movie lost a lot when it devolved into that. Which, I disagree, because I think that action half of the film is very much connected to the psychological horror half, and they mesh very well together. Mm, yeah, definitely. But to recount the opinions of people in the theater, there definitely wasn't applause after the movie ended. And we saw it in a pretty full theater. Fairly yeah. full. Definitely well, fans of the series in the audience, although it seemed mostly fans of the anime version. There were, pe- there were people behind us wondering why Toka's hair wasn't purple. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that wouldn't have looked very convincing in yeah. live action. There was definitely people who were disappointed that they didn't get to the part where Kinecti goes full goal. Honestly, that would have just, just felt so rushed, though. There, there, there's too much there. Like, I guess you could rewrite everything and just, like... Somehow make it work, but I don't know. I I find I I found like them doing it this way, going with a less I guess dynamic story arc, but uh I guess narratively important story and adapting that was a lot better choice. I get really annoyed with the people who say that they were sequel baiting by not adapting more. How is because that? they didn't do any sequel baiting? No. Yeah, there's no post credit scene. There's no implication to those. They, the I, I until where Gourmet didn't show up and like start doing weird monologues. Yeah, like just because that they didn't adapt the whole story doesn't mean that they are planning to do a sequel. In fact, they just chose a good portion of the story to make a great standalone film, which yeah. is what you should do. No, I'm sure they'd be happy to make a sequel, but... I couldn't gauge the overall cohesion of opinions, because I've heard someone say, that was a train wreck. But then I heard someone say, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. That was actually better than I thought it would be. And then I heard someone say, I want to watch this movie again. I hope the (laughs) Blu-ray comes out soon enough. Uh... Maybe it'll come out in December, like what happened with Attack on Titan movies. So, again, I couldn't get a gauge on, like, how people in the theater responded to this. I think I'm it, guessing I think it it's all around. Yeah, I think it was all around. Maybe slightly more towards positive. Yeah. I, it wasn't, like, overwhelmingly hated, though, like, the Death Note live action film, though. Yeah. Because this actually respects the material on, like, fucking Death Note. Yeah. 
Well, you would hope so, coming from a Japanese producer and film studio. But then again, we have those Attack on Titan movies which do their own thing. But Mikasa eating that already eaten apple was such a stunning scene. (laughs) Such a deep storytelling scene. Oh, no. No. But I guess that's about it for our thoughts on the Tokyo Ghoul movie. Overall, I highly recommend it, and I would rank it among my favorite films of the year, actually, because wow, I really enjoyed that, it. that's surprising. <laughs> Not top five, but right now I guess I'd put it in my top ten. But then again, I probably only have seen 30 movies this year, so take that for what it will. I mean, I guess I enjoyed it more than Dunkirk and The Wind River. Well, <laughs> no, it's pretty easy to enjoy anything more than Wind River. I mean, Wind River, more like White Pit Privilege... <laughs> River? Uh, <laughs> White Privilege River? Well, what's another good, like, R word that's, like, ba- bad? Um... Racist. White Privilege Racist. Okay. Wind Racist. Yeah, Wind Racist. I don't care. Wind River was a bad movie. Don't watch Wind River. Yeah, but do watch the Tokyo Ghoul movie, which hopefully will be out on home video soon enough. Yeah, I th- and I, think... I would yeah. consider picking it up for a good price. Yeah, I think Funimation gave it release it already. If not, it's going to come out fairly soon. It hasn't been released on home video yet. Well, no, I, 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 I'm thinking that they gave like an actual release date for the movie. Oh, but okay. I, I don't think... Uh, I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. But if, if there isn't one yet, it's going to come out soon anyways. And if you're on the fence on whether you want to watch the movie, Funimation uploaded clips on their YouTube, you can check those out. Because they showed some good scenes that should convince you one way or the other whether this movie sounds appealing to you. But I definitely would say that even if you didn't like the manga or anime, you could give this a shot, because I do think this is the better interpretation of the source material. Yeah, especially if you've only watched the anime. Go go watch this film or the manga. The anime is a terrible representation. Fuck the anime. The anime sucks. The anime sucks. Yeah. The anime is bad. You need to do something about the language. We're going to get mass demonetized. You could just bleep the, 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 the swears, I think. Yeah. At least I'm not... I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that like get like a content strike or something. Well, if you showed uh, yourself eating human flesh, uh, that would definitely get our channel deleted. So it's a good thing yeah. you're not a ghoul. Well, what did Monkey do to get his channel deleted? I don't know. Let's not devolve into that. Let's instead move on. Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies. That's still our catchphrase. I don't know why, we're just rolling with it. My greatest fear is that we'll never come with a better one. Do you think that Pennywise, the dancing clown, will use that fear against me to try and kill me and eat me, the Lord? I don't know, maybe. Do you think it's a strong enough fear? Like, do you think... How would he physically manifest my fear of not being able to come up with a better catchphrase in the same way he manifests the fear of 
what's it what's the girl's name again? Uh she, well she he manifests her fear of her puberty to in like all the blood coming out of the sink, right? Yeah. So how would he manifest my non physical fear as a physical thing? Um, a bunch of voices saying really shitty podcast names. <laughs> I guess that would be would, would that be scary? I think that would just be annoying. No, it would be really creepy, though, because it would feel like someone's whispering in your ear constantly. Like, you feel it, but there's no one there, and it'll just, like, slowly mentally break you. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it was really late at night, and I was alone, that would freak me out. Yeah. Especially because, you know, he manipulates the environment, so you're not quite sure what you're seeing is real. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Luckily, he only seems to be interested in children, and I am an adult. Yay! Also, good thing that he is not real. You could tell that to our stepsister, though, because she was scared. <laughs> she's still uh, having nightmares about it, I think. Yeah, she's had to sleep with the lights on that <laughs> ever since she saw the movie. <laughs> she was the scariest movie. I didn't think it would scare her, though. No, I didn't either. Yeah, so our due to experience was that we saw this... Um, we didn't go to a late night showing because we wanted to take our stepsister with us, but she didn't want to be like, see this at a late night screening because she would be too scared in that case. So we saw it while there's still daylight out at 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, but good, good that did. Cause she pretty much curled up in her seat and she made audible like gasps and, uh, well, definitely was afraid during <laughs> the entire movie. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite comments she made was like at the beginning though, where where she thought well, uh, Georgie was running in the street in the rain and like he hits the uh, caution sign, falls down in the boat, like keeps drifting off, and she's like, "Oh, he's gonna get hit by a car now." So I, I thought that was amazing. <laughs> But, yeah, I, I just feel really bad, though, that uh, it scared her that much <laughs> that she's had to sleep with the light off since then. And then we, yeah. we you know, asked her to go, what she wanted to go see Nasca with us. She's like, uh, no, I don't trust you. <laughs> I don't trust your choices in movies. You dragged me into something too dramatic. Okay. But, yeah, otherwise people in the audience were engaged with the movie, but I don't know if anyone was really... Uh, as frightened. Yeah, no, no one screamed or anything. I would say that, you know, I wasn't, I can't be scared at movies, especially like in the theater, because I know I'm watching a movie. Yeah. And nothing's gonna get me, and the environment that I'm in, like, I don't feel like at risk or threatened. I feel, you know, safe in a theater full of 50 people or whatever. Yeah. Now, if I was at home alone at a late night, you know, maybe I'd feel some more dread, but, like, in a theater environment, it's really hard to get, like, scared, lose your your sense of surroundings and the fact that uh, there are people sitting behind you, in front of you, and right next to you. You mm. know, you're pretty safe. Yeah, definitely. You're not alone. Yeah, like, I, I don't really get scared in movies anymore. I think yeah. the only thing that really scares me nowadays is, like, the video game series Fatal Frame. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, aside from that, like, I usually can, like, this thing go, okay, yeah, this is a movie. Nothing can, from that can hurt me. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, okay. But, like, what I get out of horror movies now is just, like, the suspense and, like, the overall 
tone of the films. Like that that's how I determine what's a good horror movie nowadays. I do think this movie was effective in surprises though, because it yeah. did make me shudder and jump at times just because the atmosphere was so creepy and I definitely felt for the characters. Yeah. And like the most effective and memorable moment of that to me was the scene after Bev has like knocked out and killed her dad. And like there's just this moment of like silence and heart heavy beating, like there's this moment of rest and the camera turns and like bam, Pennywise <laughs> behind just her like, yeah. and grabs her and the scene cuts there and like, yeah, that that was a real shudder because yeah. that just comes suddenly and you're like, Oh my god. Yeah, out of all the scenes in the film, that was probably the scene that really like not really jumped me per se, but really like hit hit me with like an impact, like, oh shit, he's here. Yeah. So I think this is a well-made film in terms of its suspense and drama, and the the horror aspect is just really good. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a. I guess it's going to be effective. We I we have a case study that it is going to scare people, <laughs> yeah. uh, really badly. So if you're easily scared, maybe you should reconsider seeing this movie. Especially reconsider seeing this movie alone by yourself in an empty environment. Yeah. Have an accountability buddy. Yeah. Uh, because this movie might make you afraid of the dark and uh, noises you hear at night. Yeah. Going into like dark places. But to me, what's more interesting about it, the story, and I've never really seen the 1990s miniseries or the original novel. I haven't read it. But what I found really interesting about the story and what I really connected to was just this story of growing up and get like these kids who all come from situations you know where they're not in a good place they're looked down upon they have a lot of hardships in their life they can't really depend on anybody but themselves and they all come together to conquer their problems their fears and survive this terrible situation like removing the clown the clown is just like a metaphor for like all the bad things that are happening in their lives and them coming together to beat the crap of the clown and kill it <laughs> is them like this defeating this problem that's like causing all of them harm and like trying to se separate them and isolate them and like drive them to despair like coming together, finding the courage to confront their fears, confront, face their adversities, and conquer them. And I thought that was a really cool message. That, to me, is what, like, the real strength of the movie is, is in that, like, thematic narrative grounding. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the clown being seen here, aside of the thematic stuff, is just so satisfying. Yeah. Just to beat the shit out of, like, whatever they could find, like, the fucking, like, rods, like, objects and yeah. then like the like uh, I don't know what it's called but it's like a needle pistol that they use like the uh take out animals yeah yeah and that it's just like it's so cool it's a really <laughs> intense fight scene cause like they're these kids and they're finding this monster who can shape shift into their worst fears and has like teeth rows of teeth upon teeth in his like yeah. neck and body he's like really disturbing creature. And then, like, the final blow where, like, Beverly is just... Ha like, the clown tries to turn her, turn himself into, like, Beverly's dad. And she immediately <laughs> She's just, just like, destroys no. him. Yeah. So good. 
and he like fit and like he just has to just crawl away and retreat and like then he like disintegrates while he uh, utters some jabber that I couldn't quite uh, make out, but he en- but he ends it with like fear, like he's afraid. So it's like yeah, they he now he's the one who's afraid. <laughs> they yeah. point that out too, and that's really good. That's really satisfying how all the kids come together and <laughs> that fight scene. Like, what the movie really succeeds at is crafting these characters that you really want to see get out of their bad situations and, like, live happy lives together. Mm-hmm. And, like, this movie just delivers what I think most horror movies are failing at in that it has likable characters you want to live. Yeah, instead of just generic angsty teenager who takes tons of selfies... Yeah, and they feel like real people. They feel like real kids. You can imagine, like, this it would be a group of kids that you would have hanged out with, maybe. Like, uh, maybe it's like your group of friends, we Lord. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, like, I guess I could... met them in elementary school. Yeah. This is how you would behave with them. I guess. I guess we do have a lot of Richies. Sure. You have a Jewish friend. You have a friend who's, like, a real uh, clean freak, too. Sorta clean freak, not really a Jewish friend. Yeah, we we cover most of the bases. Yeah, we probably have like two or three Richies though. Sure, like you, the Rich Richie's like the highlight of this film for me though. Like, honestly, uh, mo- most of my experience with this actor has been from like the main character Stranger Things, which Stranger Things is a good show, but the children characters are absolutely terrible. Screw all of them. They're all just a bunch of assholes. Bully Eleven. Eleven did nothing wrong. She's innocent. Those those bullying cucks just hurt her feelings. <laughs> yeah, so, so it was a bit salty at the actor for that. But honestly, I think it was more just the Stranger Things script for the children just being terrible. Yeah, all the child actors were so yeah. good in this. They were amazing. Yeah, These are so, amazing actors. So Richie's actor, whose name I can't remember. I'm sorry. You're a good actor. And act- Wolfhard. Yeah, yeah. You're a good actor. I'll watch more of your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was really awesome. You know, he was like, when Bill is trying to give like his big, you know, sacrifice saying, leave me behind, guys. I'm sorry I got into this. You know, Richie's like, you know, I, you know, I told you. I told you this would happen. I guess now I'm gonna have to kill this goddamn clown. That was a great moment. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, that was so good. Uh, all these characters have really awesome moments. Yeah, I mean, uh, another big thing about this film that I like is that the horror isn't just from this like monster, this intangible thing. It's also just from their real life situation. Like everyone in the town, like the adults are really creepy. I mean, uh, the biggest example is, of course, Bed's father, who is heavily implied to be sexually abusing her. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that, he was even scarier than Pennywise because he was, like, a real threat. Like, he is, like, a real villain. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh my god. So it, that was, like, probably the scariest thing was actually, you know, her trying to run away from him when he has locked her in the house and, like, he's coming after her. And, like, that was probably, like, the scariest thing because, like, that feels like 
more realistic in terms of the situation that could happen in your life. Mm. So that was, so that's a really good thing that the movie does, is just have like this team of like, you can't, uh, no one's looking after these kids. Like their greatest enemies are supposed to be the people who are, you know, supposed to protect them, their mm. parents. And they're not. They're not looking after them. They forget about the mi- missing kids, like, the ne- as soon as someone else goes missing, and they just give up. Like, at the beginning of the film, like, there's this old woman who sees Georgie, like, get dragged down in the pool of blood, and she says nothing. She acknowledges nothing. She just looks the other way. Like, they know they can't trust anyone, because everyone is, like, looking out for themselves. Mm-hmm. So these kids have to all come together and have to protect each other. Because they're the only ones they can believe in. It's really good stuff. Yeah. Honestly, like, the police arc of, like, him getting manipulated by Pennywise <laughs> to, like, kill his abusive dad, that's also something that kind of feels real. Like, that guy breaking down under <laughs> the pressure of, like, his abuse to, like, become a murderer. Is, yeah. Like, really scary. Like, that was a very believable bully figure and like why he was so wildly acting out and the root of all that yeah and the fact that his father was a policeman too makes it just all the more okay yeah there's some really messed up authority figures mm-hmm. who are not doing doing the right thing for these kids in this town mm-hmm. uh, you, you can go back to also that scene where that couple is like just drives off even though the fat kid is, like, being carved up by the bullies. Uh, mm-hmm. Ben? Yeah, Ben. When, like, they, Ben asks, called out to them for help, and they just drive away. And, like, yeah. they might be under the clown's influence because, like, the red balloon is in the back. But, like, still, like, these adults are just selfish. It's just, you know, they're willing to look the other way for a while. It's it means, like, they themselves survive. Mm-hmm. I also love, though, in that scene where uh, the clown is manipulating uh, Henry. It's like the TV is like, uh, kill your fan. Kill him. Kill him. Kill them all. Kill them all. It's so good. Or the TV is really interesting to listen yeah. to. Because it's like making all these subliminal messages of like, go down to the drain. We'll all float. That's cool. Yay. It's like so hilarious and awesome. Yeah. Like. It's Throughout really the cool. entire film, when after the TV's on, it's always just something creepy <laughs> with the with the clown. It's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it really sets the tone well. Yeah, uh, there are just some really creepy scenes in this movie, like the scene with the where they're like using the teleprompter or what? What do you call it? The thing that flips photos. Yeah, like, the projector? Just, yeah, the projector, and, like, it just keeps going and flipping, even though it's not plugged in. They're trying to shut it off, and, like, it just closes in on, like, Pennywise's face in the place of, like, Bill's mother, and then he it just stops, and then he just comes out, and that's a really <laughs> freaky scene. Yeah. Like... I think sometimes when you, it's obvious that something is CG, like uh, a lot of the monsters, like the museum, like the painting monster mm-hmm. that haunts uh, Stan, that those are the least scary things. 
But I think the film does well with it mixing in the CG with like just good filmmaking to yeah. make really horrifying moments. Very quiet, <laughs> how, how, you know. How am I supposed to do a podcast when my co-host doesn't have anything to say? I don't know. It just—it's interesting that we're recording this in the dark while it's storming outside. It's not storming. It's outside. starting to storm. I think. Well, maybe if it starts raining heavily, Pennywise will come out from his drain and begin his uh, feast for the next year. Okay. Harvesting children to tie them up in, in this giant spider web of floating. I don't know. He's, so, he's a giant okay. spider. Okay, so. This is well, true form. One thing that I'm wondering in this film so, Pennywise was using Bill's brother as a vessel, right? No, he was. That's just. Okay, so that was like the, you know, the really sad thing. Bill's worst fear was that Georgie was dead, and he'd never mm-hmm. seen him again. That was Bill's worst fear. So, you know, Pennywise was manifesting Georgie to play on that worst fear, like play on Bill's hope that he'd see his brother again, and his fear that, you know, his brother is actually dead. So when Bill, like, shoots Georgie at the end, acknowledging that he isn't real, he isn't the real Georgie, that's him accepting his worst fear, which is Georgie is dead. Mm. So that's what that represents. So Pennywise ate Georgie. Right Pennywise away. ate Georgie right out. I think that was his first booking for the summer. Okay. So he just ate him right away, and then he just like feasted on the other kids more slowly. Yeah, so that's why he had all those leftovers in the sky. Yeah, and that's why he didn't kill Bev right away, because he didn't need to yet, and he could just screw with her. Like, I think the reason Pennywise doesn't kill the kids right away, even though, you know, there's a lot of, like, misdirects. Like, one problem I had at the beginning of the movie was, like, there were a lot of scenes where, like, oh, Pennywise appears and scares the kid for a while, and then he just leaves. It's like, why didn't he just, like, kill them there? Oftentimes, there's no reason why he just doesn't, like, kidnap them at that exact moment. But then I kind of got the sense that he's, like, kind of seasoning them. He's kind of buttering them up with fear, trying to build them up, because that'll just make them more satisfying to eat later. Yeah. And he doesn't, like, need to, like, do it right now, because he's not desperate, because yeah. he has captured so many people. I guess he does have to stockpile enough food for 27 years, so... Exactly. Yeah. So, he's just, he's just, like, deepening their flavor, and that's, like, yeah. the whole point. It's, again, I think, like, a really great scene at the beginning of the movie that kind of sets up a lot of this... Is when when Mike, who you know works at the cattle ranch, like uh, is like chastised by his grandpa, who's told tells him, you know, you can either you either like are on this side of the fence and you like take charge and do what you have, you have to do, or you're like the cattle and you're just like trapped and you just go along with what people. Who, tell you until you're, like, shot dead and killed. Mm. And so that kind of is thematically relevant to, like, this entire situation. Like, a lot of the adults, a lot of the kids are, like, the cattle. Like, they're just being, like, fattened up by Pennywise to devour later. Just kind of kept prisoner. And the kids are, like, the one who... The Losers Club, everyone in our main cast, they take charge and they of the situation and they go out and they become the hunters. They become 
the guy, uh, the guys in charge. Hunting that clown. Yeah, so that was a really great scene that I think a lot of people miss when it comes to like the theme of this film. Uh, or like the story, because I don't see it acknowledged at all. That how integral that scene is to like the message and ideas of everything else that happens. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really good. Yeah. So there are a lot of really good, uh, really good scenes, really good storytelling in this. And like, even though like as a, as a, uh, even though like the fake outs with Pennywise, those scenes at the beginning, they do get a little tiresome because like, after a while you're like, okay, so he's just gonna scare them for a bed and then he's just gonna leave. Whatever. You like, it, it serves its purpose well. So it's, yeah. It's the storytelling overall is still strong and it still comes together. Like, I was uh, wavering through the first half of, like, where it was going, but when, in the second half, when everything starts coming together, I was like, yeah, okay, I get what you're trying to do here in terms mm-hmm. of, like, the messages you're describing. I get how this relates to what was happening earlier. Like, I think there's a, not a lot explicitly said that I think people might miss, you know, in terms of, like, this whole idea about, like, Pennywise, like, fatting these people up with fear and, like, controlling them with that way. But, like, I think that, you know, you can, there's just so much, like, things in this, like that scene I described earlier with Mike, that you can just read into, like, okay, what's actually going on here? And so, I think there's just good, subtle storytelling, aside from, like, the more overt teams that are explored. Yep, definitely. So, I think this is a really well-made film. It was in development for a long time, went through a lot of different directors. But ultimately, it came out pretty well, I would say. And I think that, you know, going the route of making this a two-parter, just focusing on the kids' side of the story in one and the adult side in the other, was the best thing to do. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Uh-huh. And in terms of comparing performances, I mean, Tim Curry was funnier as Pennywise, so... You know, one thing that did kind of bother me with Pennywise in this film was that he was so obviously creepy that you wouldn't see why Georgie would, like, go into the sewer uh, (laughs) or trust him. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in Tim Curry's version, like, he was just outright goofy, and that's what made him, like, freaky, was that he was, like, this goofy but really threatening character. But in this movie, he's, like, just threatening. It's never, like, actually... Funny, he's just like creepy. No, even when he's trying to do something funny. Mm-hmm. But it's still a really effective uh, performance, and it is really like frightening. You know, when he's giving like his performance for Bev in the sewer, it's like this weird dance thing. It's like, <laughs> um, I am uncomfortable. This is very nightmarish. This movie has a lot of nightmarish scenes. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. If you're again, if you're easily scared, if you are afraid of the dark and you get nightmares easily, uh, probably you shouldn't see this uh, yeah. in the dark or alone. This isn't a film for, like, four-year-olds. Well, it's not a film for some adult people, either. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, even if you're a 24-year-old. Yep. But overall, I would say I really loved it. I don't might not sound as enthusiastic as I normally do because... I'm tired because we did a lot today. Um, yeah. I'm hungry, and there's a lot more to do today as well, so we needed to get this podcast recorded, and we did, so that's yeah. great. 
Yeah, so go check it out. Go check it out. It's good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. You're just repeating what I said <laughs> now. Yeah, I, I don't get it. <laughs> Bravo. You did it. I, I guess I did. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I would say it is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Yeah, definitely same. It was really fun. Really good. You have nothing to contribute to you. You just don't, just don't know how to end a podcast or how to continue the conversation, do you? I know how to do it. Okay, fine. Yeah, so I guess pretty much what we said, I guess repeated, like, it's... We don't need to repeat it. We're done. <laughs> it's good. We said that already. Well, what more do we need to say? And that does it for this episode of Maya Mavericks at Movies Talking About It and Tokyo Ghoul. Hope you enjoy the show and look forward to more Manga Mavericks at Movie Months podcast posting every couple of days now. We definitely have a lot saved up and a lot to look forward to. Our next episode will probably be a look at two films with Blade in the title. And I'll leave it to your imagination which films those could be. But in the meantime, if you want to follow the show, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks on tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com and on our youtube channel manga mavericks where again we are posting a new movie review every day all month long the entire month of may under the banner of manga mavericks at movies month so you can look forward to new movie podcasts on that channel so definitely subscribe and watch our content on there because you'll be able to listen to a lot of reviews on that channel first before they hit the podcast feed but of course you can also subscribe to our podcast feed on iTunes Apple Podcasts whatever your podcast app service of choice is and we would greatly appreciate if you left us a rating and review because that definitely helps the channel grow and in general feedback helps us improve the show let us know what you think about these movies and the format of the show you can send all comments to our email mungamavics at gmail.com or under the post of this page on all dash comment.com or comment in the manga Mavericks trade on animation revelation or hit us up on twitter whichever you are comfortable with we love hearing your guys's feedback and it definitely helps us improve the show if you want to follow us personally of course you can follow me at lom ramayasha on twitter and you can find me as lom ramayasha pretty much anywhere i am including my anime list letterbox and the aforementioned forum animation revelation you can do the same for vlord gtc who you you can find at vlord gtz on twitter and all other associated places where i'm at he's also at and i think that about cleans 
Zaus here. So until next time, this has been Manga Marix Ad Movies, and we will see you in the next one. Sayonara!